hello and welcome to our weekly fireside chat. This is the replay and you got here right on time. So thanks for joining and thanks for uh, being a member of our community. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, if you're just joining us, we will get started in a few minutes. Just tune in. We will get started in a few minutes. Oh, here we go. Let's get you up on stage. Hey, quick microphone check for you. If uh, if you're trying to figure it out, there's a little microphone icon on the bottom right hand side of your screen. You should be able to click that and unmute yourself. Good evening, Jeff. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. We'll get started in a minute. We just get the room set up. We'll get started shortly. What is it I'm looking for? Where is that? Here we go. Topics. Thanks for joining. We'll get started in a few minutes. Hope everybody's having a good week so far. I need a microphone check for you. I feel like I'm going to butcher your first name. Is it Ewing? Ewing? Just need a microphone check from you. So uh, if you're having trouble with your microphone, there's a little icon on your app on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. You should be able to press that, and it will allow you to unmute yourself. Okay, sounds good. I will give you a second. So while we wait for... uh, Folks, let me just uh, finish doing some logistics. I will be right back.
Hey, Tomas, can you hear me? Hey, there you go, loud and clear, loud and hey, clear. Hey, man, it's Owen. How are you? Owen, there we go. I felt like I was butcher butchering your name, man. My oh, apologies. You would not be the first, and you certainly won't be the last. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this evening, and uh, it's good to uh, it's good to see your icon and hear your voice. I know you're you're joining us from. Uh, is it? Are you in Ireland or you're on the, on the state side? Correct. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm here in Dublin in in Ireland. Uh, we've had insane thunderstorms and lightning strikes all day so it's it's at that kind of like point of the day where things have just started to calm down a little bit things are still it's it's true calmness after the storm well look i know it's uh 1 a.m for you over there in dublin so i absolutely appreciate you taking the time uh to spend with us you know one o'clock in the morning your time uh, so I know it's not time friendly, but uh, I'm look your journey and and what you're doing is is important for for our audience. So thank you, for, thank you for uh, for spending your time with us. Um, I'm just going to do some quick logistics, and then we will get started. Um, while I do that, I let some of the moderators get themselves situated. So this is our weekly fireside chat. I do see some. And a couple of new folks in the audience. You got the little celebration hat, a little party hat. That means you just joined Clubhouse within the past week. So welcome to Clubhouse. Um, this is our, as I said, this is our weekly fireside chat. Uh, I'm just trying to mute you on real quick because uh, I'm getting a bit of feedback. Um, look, this is middle of the week. We do this every single Wednesday uh, for about an hour and a half or so. We will ask our guests questions for about 30 to 45 minutes of that hour and a half. And then we'll open up for the audience to raise your hand and we'll bring you up on stage and you can interact with our with our guests and add to the conversation. Uh, we do appreciate everybody joining in on the conversation. So feel free to uh, not be shy. If you do want to put something in the chat, feel free to put it in the chat. And if you can't come up and speak and we will read off the question or the comment uh, that you have to make. Um, our comments for the most part are, are our own and do not represent our current or prior employer or for at least the majority of us. Uh, so please keep that in mind as you uh, as you look to um, either quote us or, or you know play back what we may have said on on our conversation this evening. Uh, just keep that in mind. Um, the other thing I will say is let's have a good time. It is the middle of the week. Uh, Octavia, I'm just going to mute you real quick. Just getting some feedback. Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, it is the middle of the week, so let's have a good time. Let's have this is really a, a time period for us to let our hair down, if you will. I'm losing some of mine, so uh, I, I need to not let too much of it down. But um, it is it is that sort of opportunity for us to really get to know our guests. Uh, so if you are a vendor in the audience and you do want to jump up on stage and sell us on your product, uh, you know the disclaimer if you've been here before. Please don't do that today. Uh, really, let's use this opportunity to get to know Owen a little bit better, uh, get to know him, his journey, what got him to where he is today, what inspired him, what motivated him, and, and all that jazz in between. So let's really use that as an opportunity to really get to know him uh, as a person because I think we grow more uh, once we know a little bit more about the individual and we start to appreciate their, their challenges and their struggles. So with that said, I'm just going to go around the room. Oh, and I'll leave you for last. Uh, I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO at the NFL. Katie, over to you. Hi, good evening. It's um, uh, nice to, to meet you and see everybody today. Um, uh, my name is Katie Hanahan. I am um, a VP of Cybersecurity Strategy for a, a boutique SI out of Chicago. I'm also, I lead our VCSO program, so serve as a CISO myself. Um, Octavia, over to you. 
Hey Octavia, maybe it's just me, but your voice is sounding kind of faint. Can you hear me now? Uh, it sounds sounds very low, Octavia. VJ, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll give Octavia a minute to uh, maybe adjust her mic. All right. Hey, uh, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. VJ Bala here, CEO of the Asset Management Division at Golden Sachs. Over to you, Tomas. Right. Uh, we'll give Octavia a minute to, to, to rejoin. And I did see a Neil pop in. I think I saw a Neil pop in. Uh, so I'm sure they'll, they'll rejoin uh, after having some microphone issues. But on where, you know, I will... Why am I struggling this morning, this this evening? I don't know why. It's not morning for me, Owen. It's it's what it's one a.m. for you. But uh, uh, there's Octavia. Octavia, quick microphone check for you. Can you hear me better now? Uh, no, you sound like you're like really, really far away. All right, we'll we'll come back to you, Octavia. Hopefully, uh, we'll get it sorted out. Um, uh, but no, for those who don't know, this Octavia Howe is the CISO of Equifax Canada, and her opinions and comments are not representative of her employer. They so please keep that in mind, as uh, stated in the early opening caveats. Uh, so, Owen, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to? to us, uh, to, to our guests and to, uh, to the moderators on stage. And while you're going through your introduction, feel free to take as much time as you want uh, as you go through your introduction. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your origin story? Yeah, absolutely, of course. And um, no no need to apologize for, for having me on this call at, at 1 a.m. local time. I, uh, I tend to do crazy hours. Um, I, I start late and I work late, so this is this is kind of like a relatively normal time for me to be, uh, to me to be on the phone. Um, so my name is Owen Hinchy. I am the founder and CEO of a cybersecurity startup called Tynes. Uh, we're about four years old. I founded the company in February twenty eighteen. Um, I listened to a bunch of your um, previous sessions over the course of the last 48 hours or so. And unlike a lot of the entrepreneurs uh, that have featured on the show, I don't have that typical entrepreneurial journey where I had lemonade stands and mowed people's lawns and so on. Uh, I actually spent about 15 years before founding times as a cybersecurity practitioner. So. Um, my, my college, electrical engineering and software engineering, uh, and then I did a, a master's degree in security and forensics computers. So learning everything from like uh, low level network protocols, Diffie-Hellman, uh, asymmetric and symmetric encryption, application security from a very academic sense and reading white papers like Smashing the Stack for Fun and Profit, if you guys are familiar with those type of papers. Um, I also did an MBA then in Imperial College in London, but my um, my career is primarily in fairly technical roles. It's like incident response, security operations, threat hunting, threat management, AppSec, vul management, those type of roles at companies like eBay, PayPal, and DocuSign. In, um, in about 2017, I was helping to run cybersecurity at DocuSign. 
um, and had a fairly large team of people. And I was responsible for things like our security engineering program, our fraud and misuse teams, um, our threat intelligence folks, and, uh, and so on. And my team were incredibly talented people, well-motivated, well-compensated, and knew their jobs inside out. Um, as that company was growing, and, and frankly, as my team's ability to um, get better at detecting malicious behavior across our environments, whether deployment of the latest and greatest technologies, or just, you know, just turning on more logging sources, the amount of ops work on my team's plate was also increasing really, really quickly. And uh, by ops work, I mean those classic cybersecurity operational tasks like running down reported phishing emails and responding to EDR alerts and updating trouble tickets and getting machines re-imaged and making sure that infrastructure we were spinning up in our DevOps environments and so on was in compliance. And marked it. we found that about 80% of my team's time was spent doing something that they'd already done that day. So we had deployed probably about 50 different security tools, everything from SIM to firewalls to email gateways and so on and so forth. And so when these alerts would come in, my team would spend a bunch of time investigating them, hopping between tools until eventually being able to say, you know, this alert is a false positive. This one is threat and we need to perform some sort of remediation. Um, and as you guys know, having a team that's just completely overwhelmed with alerts and manual work is just not a fun place to be. Um, my team was getting burned out. We were introducing human error into our operations. People were unhappy and we just really couldn't scale. Um, this, you know, this whole problem of repetitive manual tasks is also frankly the reason we invented computers, right? Um, we invented computers so people could offload the mundane, monotonous, but important work and allow them to focus on harder, more creative, more interesting challenges. Uh, and so my challenge was that my team were cybersecurity practitioners and not software engineers. You know, they one or two of them probably could have written a bit of Python or a bit of Bash here or there to glue a few tools together, but we didn't want what amounted to essentially the company's most mission critical processes hanging off these scripts that were hard to manage, couldn't scale, weren't secured, were deployed in ad hoc ways, weren't doing dependency management correctly, and frankly, were written by amateurs. And so in 2017, um, we, started, we started looking for tools that we could buy, commercial tools off the shelf that would allow my team automate the repetitive manual tasks without having to write code, without having to be software engineers. Um, and over the course of about six months, we baked off about a dozen different platforms. Everything from, you know, products that were gonna cost us six figures from big box shops, right through to consumer products like, um, like If This Then That and Zapier and those type of products. And um, long story short, we hated every single one of them, right? None of them came close to meeting our requirements. They were all great in ways, but they didn't come close to meeting our requirements. What we wanted was a product that would allow our team automate any workflow, regardless of the complexity, would be agnostic to our stack, and that we could fundamentally rely on for these critical processes. Um, and so having looked at all these products and not seeing 
what we required, I got really, really frustrated. And I said, you know what? I just, I'm just going to go do this myself. I'm just going to go build the product that I wished had been available for my cybersecurity team. Uh, and so tw in 2018, uh, I left my job as senior director of security operations at DocuSign and founded Tynes as a first time entrepreneur who never had any grand ambitions of starting a company. Um, but we, or I, I should say, really just set about solving my own problems, those problems that I had experienced as a security practitioner and building a product to solve them uh, in, in, in what I hope would be a unique way. Um, that was, that's about four and a half years ago now. Uh, skip forward to where we are today. We're about 160 people worldwide. Uh, we've got offices here in Dublin, Boston, San Francisco, and uh, we just opened an office in, in, in Sydney, in APAC. Um, we have customers, everything from Fortune 5s to public and private SaaS companies to, um, to tiny, tiny 50 people startups and, and everything in between. Um, we also have had about 10,000 or so companies use the free version of our product to automate their workflows. Um, but, I, but I like to think that we've still maintained that, um, that initial practitioner's approach to these problems, right? We're still, we're still trying to solve the problems of too much work and not enough staff in a very cybersecurity practitioner uh, type of way. So sorry, I, I rambled a little bit there, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of a picture of, of me and the company. Uh, it, it gives us a picture. Uh, I'll pass it over to Katie to continue the conversation. Yeah, you know, I love that. I love that, um, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, that we're almost, I, I, would, I would say inundated. Sometimes it's a great thing though, inundated with amazing uh, technology and solutions to solve for a number of the challenges that we have as um, you know, uh, cybersecurity practitioners. I love that you were a practitioner for a significant amount of time before, um, and, and that you did the bake-off process. <laughs> I think that's great. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, you know what? I'm going to go build it myself. Um, I, I think that um, you know that you know partnering with the, the fact that you're actually trying to solve for something that we talk about all the time. I find that really compelling. Um, I'm always interested though if somebody because there are a lot of people that might do a bake-off and then go back to their mm -hmm. executive team and say. Hey, Hey, listen, the market does, there's nothing out there to solve for this problem. This is how we're going to have to do it. We're going to write these scripts. We're going to do it this way, you know, and, and hope for the best. I love that you said you're going to go build it yourself. You did it. Um, tell us a little bit more about maybe where that comes from for you. Uh, what, what, what is it in your, uh, you know, in your background that made you have the uh, confidence to go off and do that? Oh, that, that's a, a really, really wonderful question. Um, so I think that the key word there is confidence and I honestly didn't have a whole lot of confidence. Um, I, I knew that this was a real problem and I had a high degree of confidence, I guess, that nobody was solving the problem in a way that I thought worked for want of a better term. And so it wasn't like we, we did this bake off, I hated all the products or didn't feel that the products met our requirements and then the next day i left my job you know it was a, it was a bit of an arduous process that probably lasted six months i would say from when i started to have this idea to when eventually i plucked up the courage to talk to my boss who uh, was the CISO at docusign and a mentor and a grains a, a a great friend and i plucked up the courage and i said hey vanessa uh, I, I, I've got this idea. I really think I can go and solve it. 
and she was incredibly supportive probably a bit too supportive katie if you know what i mean i probably should have read through the lines a little bit uh but no she she was really supportive and said listen you've 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 clearly got that entrepreneurial spark despite the fact that you've never been an entrepreneur and you've never run a company um but you love to build innovative products and you love to kind of like talk about and um, talk to vendors and understand how they're working at these things and so you know it, 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 as, as a as a security practitioner i kind of weighed the the risks and the reward of okay well if i leave this job what's the worst that can happen i'll give it a year and if it doesn't work out i'll come back and i'll get another job in security right like it wasn't the case of i'm going to be throwing away my entire career here to found times and if it doesn't work out i'm going to be destitute it was more a case of i really really need to scratch this itch I'm going to give myself a year to see how it goes and if there's no traction whatsoever or i misread the signals in the market then i can just go and get go back into security team which i absolutely love doing anyway so it it, it came down to a risk-based decision and ultimately i felt look the risk isn't that high here um, I spoke to my family, I spoke to my wife, we had a six month old at the time, myself and my wife had our first kid, and she was just like, listen, go for it, you're never going to know unless you actually take the leap, and she was incre uh, extremely supportive, and, um, and looking back now, it's probably one of the best decisions that I ever made. Yeah, there was a, a lot there that I find so interesting too, is, you know, that's awesome that you have such great support and were able to to take that um, risk and that you were able to make that decision. I also love that, you know, you went to somebody who's a mentor to you and they recognized a skill set in you um, mm -hmm. that you, it sounds like you were kind, you knew it was there, but uh, that you, you know, needed a little nudge. And I love that because in our industry, I think there are a lot of people with really fabulous ideas that don't necessarily have that, um, have that, uh, moment where somebody gives them that nudge. So I just want to kind of shout that out and just think that that's, uh, that's a great thing. So mm. with that though, I mean, you gave us a lot of nuggets to keep going forward. I know VJ has, has, is with us for less time today. So I want to pass it over to VJ. Thank you for that, that answer. Over to you, VJ, if you're available. Hey, thank you so much, Katie. Uh, you know, fascinating journey. Been looking into your LinkedIn, you know, your professional uh, career at HP, uh, KPMG, previous founder. You know, um, my question is, I'm going to take it a little differently today. Uh, mm -hmm. My first question, we want to get to know you a little bit more, right? you got such a unique name. What's the etymology behind that? Oh, yeah, Owen. Um, so... Owen is actually a fairly common name in Ireland. So it's the Irish way of spelling Owen, O-W-E-N. Um, so it's it's Irish for John, essentially. Um, but I, I spent most of my career, as you, as you saw, VJ, like working for US companies. And so, um, you know, wrong, very understandably, I don't have any misgivings for people who like mispronounce my name. But I remember one funny story. Uh, I was on a call with a uh, a vendor as a security practitioner. I was on a call with a vendor who was like pitching me their their product, and um, everybody always gets my name wrong, right? They just they just 
do and I, and I don't take any offense from it and so the, this vendor is like hey um is it pronounced Owen and I was like yes it is that's amazing nobody ever gets it right and so we he, like he's off onto a great start and we, we have a really good demo their product wasn't for us but um it was still a really good call and at the end of the call, the vendor is like, okay, Ian, thank you so much for your time now. I'll see you later. And I was like, oh man, you almost had it. You were so close. Um, but yeah, so it, it's Owen. It's actually a relatively common name here in, uh, here in Ireland. Awesome. Thank, thanks for that. My, my follow-up question is, share with us how's the cybersecurity industry in Dublin, mm-hmm. like in Ireland yeah. in general, like, you know, like, are there a lot of cybersecurity schools? Like, uh, I I believe. I mean, Thomas, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're the first speaker joining us from Ireland. So, we want to know more about the local industry there. Oh, what well, first and foremost, it's it's a it's an honor, but also a shame that I'm the very first person from Ireland to be on the call. Um, so. Uh, Ireland has changed a lot over the last couple of decades. So I think this this image of Ireland as like rolling green hills and drunks fighting each other and having like families with dozens of kids uh, it's it's a bit of a stereotype that's kind of like uh, has 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 long since changed over time um, and so today we're an extremely tech enabled workforce um, 19 of the 20 leading tech companies in the world have their European headquarters in Dublin. The only one that's missing is Apple, and they're in another city in Ireland, in, in, in the south called Cork. Um, and so for the last kind of like 20 or so years, it's really been a hotbed for like um, for technology talent in general. And so Facebook, Google, Amazon have all opened huge engineering offices here. Um, and so that's led to a, a huge amount of involved in technology who didn't previously, but also a lot of other Europeans coming to Ireland to work for these US, for these large technology companies. Uh, we're now the only English speaking company or English speaking country in the EU with the UK leading through Brexit. Uh, we're also um, the only English speaking country in the Eurozone. And we are the closest kind of European uh, country to the US. And so it's a very, it's a very accommodating and friendly place for US companies. Um, I think initially how security came onto the map was these US, large US technology companies like Intel and Apple and Facebook and Google and Amazon and so on were establishing kind of like engineering presences in, in Dublin and in Ireland. And with those engineering practices, all those kind of like downstream dependent teams came online. And so you would have like network teams being established and knocks being opened. And then eventually like security teams opened in Ireland and so on. Uh, And so uh, companies like eBay and PayPal and DocuSign and Facebook and Google all established kind of like cybersecurity hubs here, Symantec being another huge one. Um, And as a result, there's this very concentrated amount of cybersecurity uh, for a country that's really quite small. You know, we're only 5 million people in population in total on the island. Um, but there's this, there's this huge amount of expertise in cybersecurity. And then, you know, that as a result, that established things like um, uh, engineering courses or security engineering courses and security engineering master degrees and a number of PhDs and so on. 
So although we're, we're a relatively small country, I would say of our weight in terms of just like prowess in cybersecurity. Oh, and thank you. Thank you for that. If, um, you know, my wife works at Stryker, the medical company based oh, in Cork. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, all I see is the wonderful castles and the landscape. So this is, uh, <laughs> this is good to, good to, good to hear and know. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my, my, my sister-in-law actually works in, in Stryker. I have no idea what she does, but she talks about <laughs> it very fondly. Nice. Nice. Okay. But you, you, you there? Uh, yeah. it's still kind of, yeah, I mean, if Owen can go ahead. Yeah, and, and I, I can repeat your question, Octavia, as well. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my phone, so I apologize. Um, so thanks for Tomas for introducing me. So, you know, no adult that is in cybersecurity now thought that they would be in cybersecurity, um, when they were younger, right? So I'm really wondering when you were a kid, what were your, like, what, if you look back at when you were a kid, what are those things that you're doing now? You said you had, you know, you built something because, you know, nothing that you saw out in the industry actually matched what you needed. And so you kind of went and you just said you're going to build it yourself. Like, what, what, what was it about your childhood um, and how you grew up that landed you into wanting to be a security engineer and that practitioner? That's the first part of my question. And then the second part is like, what would you tell someone who saw something, you know, saw that they needed, they had needed something solved and it could not be solved with other um, other technologies. And so what would you tell someone who had the skills to build something themselves, but maybe a little afraid to do so? Oh, phenomenal question. So just in, in case folks weren't able to quite hear Octavia there, the, the first question is, what were the, and I'm paraphrasing, what were the kind of characteristics of my youth, I guess, that um, I think contributed to me starting a company or like going on this entrepreneurial journey? And then the second part is what advice would I give other people who may um, see gaps in the market and may be considering taking the leap? So um, sorry, Octavia, that's not exactly what you asked. But um, so I think my my background is I, I grew up in a relatively rural part of Ireland, uh, about two hours west of Dublin, uh, called Carrick and Shannon. And that's a small little kind of like picturesque tourist town on, on the largest river in Ireland called the Shannon. Um, my Both my parents are from Dublin and we moved as kids to the west of Ireland to kind of have like less of a, of a city life. And uh, my father was a graphic designer. He ran his own graphic design company. And so from a very early age, I was exposed to like this whole idea of like creative thinking, um, but also I guess kind of like running companies and the how much work was involved in like, just keeping the lights on in a, in a, in a business. Um, but, you know, from the age of like 13, true to 18 every summer i would spend uh, my days helping out in my dad's graphic design studio in my dad's graphic design studio so whether that was like from fixing computers or networking or whatever now as as anybody who works in times whether they're designers or engineers will tell you i did not inherit a jot of graphical design and um, talent like i have absolutely zero ability and if you go back and look at like the the early times logos which i designed you'll quickly realize that that is extremely true but 
what I did love was I absolutely loved playing with the computers. Like absolutely loved like uh, understanding how all these graphic design software worked, uh, understanding like how the early internet was coming on online and being exposed to things like IRC and the internet community and so on. And so despite the fact that I was working in this um, very niche graphic design area, I was always drawn towards like computers and software and networking and so on. Uh, and so I think, you know, as, as, as all you guys know, like having, having kind of grown up around the internet, there was just like security was always this really kind of like interesting thing because it, it, it didn't really exist. And it was so easy to um, exploit systems or, you know, run viruses or learn about things like symmetric encryption and password cracking and so on. And so I was despite the fact that I didn't get my first job in security until kind of like the mid uh, 2000s, I, I was still involved and interested in things like hacking, uh, white hat or white hat of course, but also like just understanding how these systems work and how I could break them and so on. Uh, so it, it, although I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a security engineer, I was still being exposed to those, like those technologies and I'm very passionate and drawn to them. Um, the, the second part of the question then of like, what, what advice would I give other people who are who are in my shoes, who saw a gap in the market and so on, and, and maybe considering starting a business? Um, I think w one of the things that I've learned over the course of the last four years, and again, I've only been an entrepreneur for the last kind of like four years or so, is that the worst thing that you can do as a founder is start a company to do what you love. And what I mean by that is, if your favorite thing to do is um, actually let's let's take a step back and use an analogy, right? If you're a mechanic and your favorite thing in the world to do is to work on cars, the worst thing that you can do is like start a garage, right? Because you're not going to spend any time working on cars. If you're successful, you're going to be dealing with clients and ordering parts and advertising and trying to grow your business and working on accounts and doing tax returns and so on. So you're not gonna get any time to spend actually working on cars and doing what you truly love and you'll probably end up miserable. Um, so if, if you genuinely have a, a, a see a gap or you want to start a business, I think the best reason for starting a business is because you genuinely see a way that the world can work better. And it doesn't need to be something completely incredible and grandiose. It can be something small like, hey, I think that we can fix cars in a more affordable way for people. And then you should start a garage, right? Because it doesn't matter what you're doing in the garage, whether it's doing your tax returns or hiring and firing mechanics or ordering parts, it's always in that service of the larger vision um, which is and mission, which is kind of like to improve the way that you can like, repair cars. And so taking that and applying it to me, my favorite thing in the world to do is work with other smart security teams and riff on hard security problems and co come up with innovative solutions to, um, to hard security problems. Now, that's what I did in times when it was just me, when it was a, just a one person company, all I did was talk to other security teams and build product and help innovate and solve these solutions. Now, I don't spend that much time doing that, even though it's my favorite thing to do. However, I absolutely love my job, despite the fact that I don't get to do the thing that I um, love the most. 
because it's in service of this larger vision. So now when I'm interviewing candidates or talking to VCs or doing board meetings, I still absolutely love my job because it's again in service of that larger mission, which is like to help security teams work in a more effective, healthier, efficient way. I, I don't know if that answers your answers your questions. No, it absolutely answered my question, and I appreciate that. Um, I love that you are kind of looking at it from the larger vision, and I think that's very, um, very aspiring. I'm going to pass it back over to Katie. Yeah, and you actually teed me up. I was going to um, dig into a question, um, something that actually came up today and something I think a lot about, and I think you'll have a lot to share with us about. Um, I actually was just talking to somebody today, a technology partner of mine who um, started at a, a new company, and I was kind of just getting the background of why he did that. And he was you know, outlining a little bit about why you know, the last couple of companies just weren't the right fit for him from a corporate mm -hmm. culture perspective. And he's an amazing person, really great at his job. I've known him for years. And so I, I can't say that it was, there was anything that he would have been doing wrong. So when you had the opportunity, you know, four and a half years ago to, you know, go off and start a business, having spent so much time in so many different organizations, just curious as you were doing that and creating a company culture, um, how did you... How did you approach that initially? Were you very, very deliberate about what your mission statement was and then um, creating that culture? Uh, and then how is it that you've been able to find the right people to bring into your company to continue to carry out that mission and create the, the company culture that you're seeking? Oh, that is, that is such a great question. Um, you know, I think culture is, is such a nebulous concept, right? If, if, you, if you think about culture... Or, or like Google culture definitions, you'll find so many different varieties, right? I think the one thing that's definitely true is that culture isn't beanbags or free beer in the office or, um, you know, uh, innovation and execution and these other things. They're parts of it for sure. But for me, when I, when I founded Times, um, I wanted to build a company ultimately that would allow passionate people do their best work. And that was kind of like what I really, really wanted to do. Uh, we didn't have a mission statement. We didn't have a vision statement. We didn't have um, core values for like a long, long time. Um, and the reason for that, and you know, the definition for me that makes the most sense about culture is culture is a framework for making decisions, right? So that, that to me is when I think about culture, that was the definition that really clicked for me. So when you think about culture um, at a small company and you think about it in the context of it's a framework for making decisions, as the founder, you can be involved in literally every single decision that's being made up until the company is about 20 people, right? You can be literally be involved in every single decision from what the color of the logo is gonna to be to what events you're attending, to who you hire, to what product features are built. You can have the final say in every single decision. And as a result, if culture is a framework for making decisions, it's not that important because again, the founders uh, can be involved in every single decision. After 20 people, it's literally the only thing that's important, literally the only thing, because 
Every decision is being made uh, outside of your purview. You're no longer involved in every hiring decision. You're no longer involved in like setting quotas for salespeople. You're no longer involved on for what events you're attending or what your sales team are pitching in cold calls to security practitioners. And so culture becomes the most important facet of your organization because it essentially decides what decisions are being made. Um, and so when we were sitting down to like, okay, well, how are we going to like, how are we going to set a culture for this company to ensure that the decisions are being made are ones that we're comfortable with. And so we kind of worked backwards from that. Right. And we sort of said like, well, listen, we want people to do the right thing fundamentally. Right. And so the decisions that people are making should be the right thing for the customer and should be the right thing for the employees and times as well. So that's really important to us. And the other thing that's really important to us is that we want these decisions that are being made to be made really, really quickly, right? Like speed is absolutely important and of the essence for this organization. So we want people to make quick decisions. Uh, and the second thing is that we want people to, or the third thing is that we want people to keep things really simple. So if you're faced with a decision and it's a question of like, hey, we can do this complicated thing or we can keep it really, really simple, we want people to make simple decisions. And so out of that uh, overarching framework for how we wanted people in the company to make decisions, our core values of speed, simplicity and soundness um, evolved. And so that is kind of how we came about like uh, on, on, our, on our kind of cultural framework within the organization. Now, in terms of how we ensure that we hire the, the right people who are strong culture carriers and so on, um, I'd love to say that I'm I'm the person responsible for that, um, but we've got a really really talented um, uh, recruitment team and and people team who who kind of like do things like interview training with all our people managers and make sure that interview loops are set up and ask hard questions around like sure this person looks brilliant and they're really qualified but they're a bit of an asshole right like maybe we shouldn't hire this person. Um, and so really being intellectually honest with our core values, which trickle down to decisions that were being made, it helps us like in a fairly binary way, identify people that are right for the company and wrong for the people, wrong for the company. Um, now that's not to say that we get it right every single time. We absolutely don't. And we, we've made some mistakes, but when we do make these mistakes, it, the, the, the core values that we've established give us a pretty a pretty clear framework to identify okay well this person like is moving insanely slow or they're making things unnecessarily complicated or they're not doing the right thing by their uh, fellow teammates or the customers and it helps us like find those people and have a hard conversation and potentially move them onto a, a company that they're more suitable for that you know honestly that maybe moves a little bit slower or is more kind of like process driven or whatever I love that. I love that. Uh, you know, I think it's so important that it is an it's a it's an art and a science in creating that culture, but that you do have those metrics and and have developed those um, you know those questions that can weed out, as you say, the assholes because nobody wants to work with an asshole, right? Yeah, yeah, I laughed out loud absolutely. when you said that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, yes, that's true. <laughs> Got my attention. Um, no, I think that's really wonderful. And I think that, you know, as um, we're all in, you know, executive leadership or at different parts in our, in our career, where we're even just creating, a, you know, the culture of our team. Um, it's just that was really great advice and, and appreciate that. So thank you.
Thank you. Um, I, I will pass the mic then over to Tomas. Thank you, Katie. And thanks Howard, for uh, the great conversation so far. So just want to do a very, very quick room reset. Uh, this is our weekly fireside chat, so we uh, do appreciate you joining us. And if you do have a question for Owen and you want to raise your hand and, and we'll bring you up on stage and you can ask your question, uh, please feel free to do so. Now is the time. If you want to, if you can't talk and you need, and you want to put it in the chat, uh, you can do that as well. Feel free to use the chat and we will read off your question. Um, with that said, oh, actually one other point, uh, on the top left hand of your screen, again, for those new folks, uh, there's right next to where it says fireside chat, there's a little green monopoly house. If you click that, if you click that little greenhouse, you can uh, join our fireside chat club and be alerted to when we do this. But as I mentioned, we do this every single Wednesday. Uh, so with that said, Owen, I do want to ask you another question and I'll, I'll switch a bit and ask you about what are you reading? I, I like to uh, add to my reading list and I like asking entrepreneurs and CEOs and other sort of uh, individuals who, who have come on our show, what's on their reading list. So what's on your reading list? Oh, oh that's a fun question. Um, so I, I, I read an absolute ton, always have. Uh, at the minute, funnily enough, t earlier on today, um, my, my latest book, which was like, uh, a a book called uh, The Ink Black Heart. It was like a, a, a kind of crime fiction novel written by Robert Gilbraith, which is a a, a, a a pen name for J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter books. And so she, about, I don't know how many years ago now, but about seven years ago or so, she started writing these kind of like crime whodunit books um, and has released something like six of them now. And this is like the latest, the latest iteration um, it was a thousand pages long, which for a, a novel is just absolutely bonkers. Um, I, I, I wasn't like, unfortunately, it wasn't the best book I've read or far from it, so I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, before that, I had finished reading an amazing book called Running with Kenyans. Um, I, I, one of my kind of like passions outside of work is, is running. So I do a bunch of like kind of like athletics and, uh, and I've done several marathons. Uh, and, and I try to read on that on that topic quite a bit. And so Running With Kenyans is about this um, English guy, I think. And he's a, he's a writer for like Runner's World. And he was a he was a really um, successful or I should say like a more like a moderately successful cross country runner in his youth um, and kind of like fell out of love with the sport as he like as he moved through adulthood. But as he started like getting into uh, writing about running for a living in magazines and so on, he started to think about, and this is, this is a true story, this is nonfiction. He started to think about um, what he could, like how much of an advantage do Kenyans or East African athletes actually have, right? Is it um, a natural ability that they're born at and the fact that they live at altitude and so on, or is it just that they train harder than everybody else? So it's kind of this nature versus nurture thing. Um, and as we all know, like if you look at the Olympics, you know, the 10,000, the marathon, it's absolutely dominated by these East African runners. And so he was very interested in understanding like, okay, like if I, you know, who was a, a fairly mi middle of the road athlete went and trained in Kenya for like a couple of years, would I then be like a world beater, world beating athlete as well? 
And so the whole book is about his experience of training with Kenyans uh, in like Itan and all these kind of like famous running communities and uh, the, the personalities who are there. And it all builds up to the, the New York Marathon um, where he's going to be running uh, and trying to set a PB, having run with all these like extraordinarily uh, uh, competent and uh, elite marathon runners. And it was just like, a, it was a real page turner the way it was written. And the, the whole thing is a kind of like, sure, the, the, the main plot is about the, the, this guy trying to like be this PB, but it's really all about the personalities and the, the idea that, hey, you need to have the best shoes to be an amazing runner, or you need to like invest a ton in diet and so on and so forth, versus like, actually, you just need to work really, really hard. You need to get up at 6 a.m. and run 20 miles then you need to go back to bed and sleep for eight hours. And then you need to get up again and like do weight training and go for another 10 mile run. So it's the, it kind of like dispels this whole concept of like, actually it's not so much about like the, the nature of these folks. It's just that they work incredibly, incredibly hard every single day. So it was a great book, Running With Canyons. Awesome, thanks. Thanks for that, that's awesome. So uh, there is a question in the chat. And I will read it off uh, to you. Uh, so, question from Jenny, uh, who, who joins our, our fireside chats on a, on a periodic, on a weekly basis. Actually, she comes a lot. As a great member of our community, what personal or business skill are you most proud of having developed since? I should probably read that again. What personal or business skill are you most proud of having developed since the beginning of your career? Oh, Jenny, that's a that's a really, really, uh, really, really thought provoking question um, that I'm most proud of. Uh, I think developing people is something I'm extremely proud of and that I've worked really hard at. You know, when I when I started my career as an individual contributor, um, I was laser focused on my own work. Right. And like really kind of building my own career. Um, and staying heads down, wearing blinkers and just getting my, my projects done and delivered and so on. Um, what I learned over time is that no individual has like really ever done anything themselves that's incredible, right? All the great innovations that, we, that have been produced over the last millennium have all come through like teams of people working together. Uh, and so... I think being a good team member and like taking junior people and mentoring them and being kind with them and making sure that we set a, uh, an environment that they feel comfortable asking questions and learning. I think that's probably something I'm extremely proud of. Um, and I, and I continue to work on, right. I'm, I'm absolutely not perfect at that by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's, it's probably the most important skill that I've developed over time as well as, as the company has grown in times. Awesome. Thanks for that. Um, and thanks, Jenny. Thanks for asking your question. Uh, Octavia, I'll pass it over to you. Thanks, Tomas. Um, I don't know. Can you hear me now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. No, it's well, something that you said, you know, you said that your greatest, uh, I guess your greatest accomplishment is really kind of seeing other people develop and mentoring them. I'm wondering, you know, a lot of times when we mentor people and we help develop people, we actually see something develop in ourselves as well. So if you look back amongst all the people who you kind of, the lives that you touched and the careers that you touched, 
what lesson did you learn from those uh, individuals that you were kind of bringing up that you thought you were mentoring, but maybe end up coaching and mentoring you? Oh yeah, great question. So uh, to, to, to kind of like paraphrase what true mentorship, what did I learn about myself, I guess, is, is, is another way of describing it. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think, I, I think like the, the big lesson that I've taken away from like hiring junior people or even like kind of like people in the, in the middle of the career or even senior people and, and working with them and mentoring is that you really got to let people make their own mistakes. Um, and even, you know, you, you, you can give people great advice and tell them, look, I'm telling you right now that if you do this thing, it's going to backfire for a reason X, Y, Z. But at the same time, you kind of have to let them go and make their own mistakes. And critically, when they make those mistakes, and they come back and they say, yeah, you're absolutely right, that you don't have this I told you so attitude, right? That you're not this holier than thou person um, and that you're sympathetic and you say, look, yeah, absolutely. I, the reason I knew that this wasn't going to work out is because I made those mistakes myself. Um, and I think making mistakes, and this is extraordinarily cliched, but I think still important, like making mistakes is where you learn. And nobody in times or nobody I've mentored is ever punished for like making, um, making their own mistakes, right? Like, sure, we'll absolutely tell you, hey, you know, we, we kind of like, we, we warned you not to do this or this wasn't a great idea, but I understand that you needed to go and kind of touch the fire and now you'll know never to touch it again. So I think, I think that's a really, really important one. And I know I've given advice, been given like advice from mentors, my personal mentors loads of times who told me like, I don't know if this is a great idea, but I've gone ahead and done it anyway. And um, the the lesson I learned was that, okay, I actually needed to go and make that mistake. I needed to go and get burned. I needed to go and mess up so that now I have internalized that lesson and you better believe I'm gonna grow from it. Well, that was great. I used to have um, one of my former CIOs um, he was really, really keen on the fail fast, mm -hmm. right? So like really understanding when you're going down the right path and when to self-correct really, really quickly. So I actually love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think it's the it's the best way. And I think, you know, what what's what's worse? What's gonna help you grow faster? Like sitting pondering over like a, a decision or like making a quick decision and identifying that it's not working and going back and trying again like you're always going to be more successful you're going to grow more when you make those risks um, and learn from them absolutely Tomas, i'll pass it back over to you okay thanks octavia uh kitty uh, do you have a question that you want to ask i i, I... I know you always do. That's why I'm I asking. Do. Yeah, I have one. It's kind of, um, it relates a little bit back to, we talked about um, corporate culture and what um, what you've done to to instill the culture within the organization. Curious for you, um, a question that I have for a lot of founders um, and just really anyone who's in a high pressure uh, job, which most of us in this um in this group of people, both on stage and in the audience, um, are all in these really high pressure uh, jobs within the cyberspace. So curious about what you do to unwind or what are ways that you find that you can uh, balance all of the challenges of um, running a, a company um, 
always raising funding, <laughs> doing uh, one o'clock in the morning podcasts with people you don't really even know that well. So thank you again for having faith in us and coming on at one in the morning. Uh, but just curious, yeah, what are the things that you do outside of uh, work to, to balance it all? Um, yeah, it, it's a great question. And you're right. Like if, if, if I did nothing but like my job at times, I would just be like a miserable person to be around. Um, because as much as I adore my company and as much as I absolutely love my colleagues and as much as I love our customers and the problems that we're solving, you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a lot and it's stressful and it's an extreme amount of, of workload. And so the way I try and balance it is I surround myself with like my friends and my family. Uh, and I, I like, I still have a very close knit bunch of friends uh, that I hang out with very, very regularly that I've known for like 20, 30 years um, and who treat me the exact same way as they treated me when I was like a, you know, an 18 year old undergrad in, in college. So I think that grounding is extremely report, uh, important because like, frankly, you can get a bit of an ego in this world, right? Like you can, you can say like, Hey, I've raised like a hundred million dollars from VCs and so on and so forth. Uh, and you can, you can start to think that like you're, you're invincible and that you have a right to some things that you have absolutely no right to. And so having that grounding through like friends and family, I think is really important. Uh, my wife and I have a, have a, uh, a five-year-old son and we also have an eight-month-old daughter. And so let me tell you, it's, it's hard to get an ego uh, when you're like changing diapers like all day. <laughs> there's, there's nothing more leveling than having to like change a diaper. Uh, and so that, that's one part of like staying grounded. I think the other thing that I love to do is I, I like to like just get like physical exercise. Um, so, you know, the, the, the science behind this has been proven many times over that, like just getting out and getting some sort of exercise and being in the fresh air is extremely beneficial. Um, and I've, I've always been, been a runner, as I was saying, I've done a, done a bunch of marathons um, and I, I don't really compete in running anymore. For me, it's really just like a meditative practice. So I'll, I'll go for like a, a, a six to 10 mile run on most days. And it's where I have a, like pretty much all my best ideas. Uh, and so like most of the ideas for the features that I've come up with in Tynes have come to me while I've been running. Even the idea for Tynes came to me while I was out for a jog. Um, and aside from it just being like a, a really relaxing, comfortable, safe place, happy place for, for me to spend some time, it's also honestly probably the only time or the only hour that I don't check my phone or I'm not in front of a screen or I'm not on the phone. And so having that like that detachment from technology, even if it is just for an hour a day, just kind of helps like helps keep you a little bit stable, I think. Well, I appreciate that. And, I, you know, I think that um, anytime, whether it's running or I just think that's great advice is the turning off the phone, uh, even if it's mm. for 20 to 30 minutes. Um, it can be so helpful um, for all of us and to um, you know, just take a minute to actually breathe and think and, and be more strategic. So it's just really nice to, to hear somebody who, um, you know, has, has been, you know, had a lot on their plate that is doing that. It's just always helpful because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel, um, I feel guilt, you know, like, well, if I, mm. if I do that, well, then I might miss something. And then, you know, it's just, it's, it's not a good way to live at all. So I have to be real cognizant about it. And you actually made me laugh out loud because again, because, um, I, 
you know, sometimes too, when I've, I've been traveling a lot and then I was getting upgrades and stuff. And I would, I would, I remember a moment where I was upgraded to first class and I was like, Ooh, this is so great. I'm so fancy. I get home. The first thing that happened is my, my little infant son barfed all over me. This was a few years ago, but you know, it's just like, well, there you go. I'm back to reality. <laughs> it was yeah, fun while absolutely. it lasted. <laughs> and, and that that like that keeps you modest and hopeful yeah. and so on. And the, and the and the other thing I would say, like you know, you kind of have to balance it. Like some days you are going to be like in front of your computer for like eighteen days, right? So you have to like identify that. Okay, sometimes I'm going to be absolutely slammed in work, and I'm just like not going to be available, and I'm not going to see my kid or whatever it is. Um, and then other days, like you 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 need to be fully immersive with your family and so on. Um, do, do you guys have like that um, screen time thing that you get from like iPhones and stuff? Um, so I, I think that's a, a really good indicator and like just give you an idea of how wrong I get it sometimes. I got like a screen time and notification a couple of weeks ago that was like, hey, your screen time uh, last week averaged something like 22 hours a day. And I was like, oh, that's that's probably not good. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. No, I think mine's a little less than that. But yeah, I, but I do track that. And I actually, um, I thought you were going to say something. Do you do that for your kids? And you know how a lot of parents will do that. They actually will turn off mm -hmm. their uh, social media apps and stuff. Yeah. I also was finding myself sometimes just being a little too long on maybe um, an Instagram thing to turn my mind sure. off. And really, I should have probably been going for a run. That would have been a better thing for me to do. And I so I put screen time on my own phone, um, but then I ignore oh. it half the time. So I, it's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, hard. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm in charge. Well, you've got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> exactly. No, it really isn't. I, that's what I, I think. That's why I, the point I was making is that you know, even if you can't go for a run for an hour, just doing something like that and and hearing you say that you do that is just it's always so helpful for for me personally to hear someone else that's making an effort to do that. So um, appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Octavia, did you have another question? I think I saw you unmute. I don't know if you guys can hear me. I was saying you can do what I do and just have three phones and then you won't get caught by the screen time thing. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great approach. I like it. That's funny. Uh, I, I have a question for you, uh, Owen, and, and it's regarding the name Tines. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you already covered this or not, and, and I missed it, but where did the name come from and what does it mean? Or how did you yeah. sort of arrive at that name? Oh, that's a that's a really good question. So, um, uh, I, I have a bit of a weird obsession with like the name, the formal names of everyday things. Uh, and so, for example, like the the plastic part at the end of your shoelace is called like an aglet. So, like I, I know all these like names of weird everyday things. A a tine t i n e is the formal name for like the prong on a fork. So, you know, like a fork, a piece of cutlery, those spikes are called tines. Um, when I was imagining tines, uh, the product, and I was like out for jogs and I was picturing how the product would work, really, the, the, what, what set, without going into too much detail about the product, we have kind of like this extraordinarily powerful drag and drop canvas that allows people build their processes, similar to like if you were using like a whiteboarding application like Visio. So you drag and drop the various actions that you want to take across your security processes, whether it's create a ticket in Jira or like if this alert is high, high priority, then um, go and send a message through PagerDuty. And so when I used to picture times, I would picture this kind of like canvas and I would imagine like a notification or an alert coming in at the top of the screen in a line, right? So there'd just be a single line down with like a notification. 
And then that line would branch off or fork off into a number of individual like branches or forks. So based on the severity of the alert, you might do four individual things that would be working uh, in, uh, in parallel in different branches. And so when I used to be visualizing this, I was kind of thinking it kind of looks like an upside down fork. Right, so you have this single um, notification coming in and then you have a breaking up into all these individual prongs which look like a fork. Uh, and so it's, uh, then I was thinking, oh, it's kind of like tines. Uh, and so that's where the name tines originally came from. Um, I also, you know, having been a security practitioner, as I'm sure you guys know, you get kind of jaded by the names of security companies, whether it's like Terror Strike or like red blaze or whatever it is and so i knew i didn't want to start a company that like had those very cliched footy security names i wanted something a little bit more unique uh, and so times felt like a good fit that's awesome that's uh I, I, I don't know what i was expecting but that was definitely <laughs> what? Not what i was expecting <laughs> you, you no, didn't think we were no. going to end up talking about shoelaces did you <laughs> No, I had no idea we were going to talk about shoelaces. That is that's great. Um, look, it is a, it is about a, a nine p.m. Eastern time, uh, so that means it is about two a.m. for you, uh, Owen. Uh, so if you do have a question and you want to raise your hand and jump up on stage, feel free to uh, raise your hand. We'll bring you up and you can ask your question. Uh, if not, we will continue asking Owen our questions because this is what's on our mind. So hopefully we're hitting the mark for you all in the audience. Um, Katie, I'll pass it back over to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so one of the questions I have, I mean, you seem very tied in overall to the global cyber market. Um, and, um, you know, one of the reasons why I love doing this every single Wednesday night is it's a collaboration of, um, you know, ideas and, um, and really, you know, interesting people who have different backgrounds and, um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, a viewpoint of, of how they're going to move forward. Um, so I guess in, in you being in Ireland, and we asked a little bit about the cyber community in Ireland um, and in the EU, um, what kind of uh, opportunities do you have or what do you suggest in terms of how are you collaborating with not just your um, fellow um, entrepreneurs and founders, but um, really continuing to stay in touch with that practitioner side? Um, of the uh, yeah, and kind of where the company was founded from. Um, how are you staying close to that as you're growing the company through collaboration oh, and events? Yeah, ph phenomenal question. So, um, you you know the the reason we we founded this company is because we security should be the best job in the world, right? Like working in security is an absolute privilege. You get exposed to this cutting edge technology. You know, you're 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 generally on balance, well budgeted, and you can like get, you get paid really well, and you're ultimately playing like kind of cops and robbers for a living. So it should be the best job in the world. But the reality is that like working security is hard. You know, I was the lead instant responder on the eBay breach in 2014 when we lost like 250 million ish records, uh, and I remember just how hard and stressful it is working in security. And so staying in touch with the community and understanding how they're feeling was like really important and it's now four and a half years since like i was a legitimate badge wearing cybersecurity practitioner and about 12 months ago to give you an example about 12 months ago 
we kind of sat down and said, um, wow, are we, are we still like solving the right problems here? Like we think we are and you know, our revenue growth and our trajectory and our adoption certainly indicates that we are, but we're no longer living and breeding the lives of security practitioners every single day. And so what we did was we said, well, like, what's a way that we can kind of like almost, almost ask as many security practitioners as possible, like what they're working on and how they're building and so on and so forth. And so we ended up doing a, uh, a survey at the start of this year that we called the voice of the SOC analyst. And we spoke to something like 500 security analysts right across the world, right? From the US to the EU to APAC across a variety of industries, right? Pharma, big tech, manufacturing, um, you name it. And we spoke to these 500 people and we said like, hey, what, how's it going? Like, what are you working on? Where are you struggling? What are your biggest challenges? Uh, and the data that we got back was so eye-opening, right? Everything from just the level of burnout that people were experiencing, the, um, the degree of um, tool sprawl that people were dealing with, the ideas that pe the, the, the kind of like challenges that people were dealing and where they felt that they needed to grow themselves. So it was ex extremely, extremely eye-opening. And we actually made that report available for free on our website to absolutely anybody who wanted it, right? You didn't have to like give us your email address to download it. You could just go to times.com forward slash SOC, download this report and just get a view for how the security community is doing, like generally speaking. Um, and that was just an extremely, an extremely eye-opening exercise because it, it gave us like a lot of, a lot of confidence that yes, we're solving the right problems, but also it kind of like awoken us a little bit to understand that actually there's a whole load of things happening amongst this community, this critical community of people that we're not paying attention to, like mental health, for example. Uh, and we started to understand that like, holy crap, like, CISOs and uh, SOC analysts, these people are stressed and they're dealing with a lot and their mental health is being impacted. And so, um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate now in times that we've been able to build this company and build this business and generate revenue. And we wanted to start giving back somewhat as well. So about six months ago, we, um, we ran a initiative called the State of Mental Health Insecurity. And what we did essentially was we sponsored something like 500 Headspace subscriptions for anybody that works in security. No strings attached. You didn't get a single marketing email. And it was just a chance for us to say, and, and if you don't know, Headspace is kind of this um, mental well-being app that's extremely popular and helps you kind of like walk through um, meditation and mindfulness and just kind of like, allows you to de-stress somewhat. And we gave away these 500 subscriptions right across the world. Um, and the feedback was like, hey, what's the catch? <laughs> like, you know, I, I've been fooled by cybersecurity vendors before, like what's the catch to this? And for us, genuinely, there was no catch. Like, like I said, we were cybersecurity practitioners ourselves. We know how hard this job is and we wanted to give back to the community. And so I think going forward, we'll continue to do these type of like um, investigative exercises into the community to understand what people are working on and then figure out creative ways that we can give back.
it won't always be mindfulness apps, but maybe it'll be other things like, hey, we're missing certain types of technology that we have answers to that we can open source or whatever. Um, but you know, the 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 headline here is that I I wouldn't have this career that I have today if it hadn't been for the cybersecurity community, and I care deeply about giving back in any way I possibly can. I can't commend you enough for for that. And and I am familiar with Headspace. I don't know if other people in the room are. I would I would I think it's wonderful that you provided that. And I mean, back to what you were talking about earlier. You know, it, um, you know, some just being able to take that time. It's a it's a great um, app that even though the phone is on to to take a break from the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, and I also love that you made sure that they knew that there were no strings attached and that there were. <laughs> I'm always so scared to take anything because I'm like, what does oh, this mean? I know. <laughs> I know. Like, do I do I have to sit through your demo if I take this like <laughs> webcam shield? Right. Like, yeah. Now my schedule will be even more um, full, and my inbox will be more full. This Headspace thing just made me more stressed out. No, that's um, no, that's amazing. And yeah, uh, commend you for that. Um, yeah. With that, then I'll. Uh, I think Octavia, you had another question as well, right? collaboration with the cyber community to an entirely different level um honestly right because you're not just kind of looking across where the gaps are but you're also looking at why they're there and then how you can actually keep people in the game right and so i think that's that's very commendable and then also i guess to to that you know one of the things that i noticed and this may be just me is that uh, we have a lot of people that are new to security um, that are kind of in the in the game now. Like we, we initially had, like we didn't have enough people entering into. Now I found find that we may not have enough people managers or enough people who have like real skills um, that are uh, that have tenure um, within mm -hmm. security. So with that, I think what you did when it comes to like the Headspace app and with the community, I feel like that is kind of giving back. But what do you, have you actually looked and have you noticed a challenge with um, managers and leaders or people with ten tenure within security? And what are your thoughts on how do we actually keep people in security? And also what are your thoughts on how do we nurture and get more people to like not stay an analyst for five six seven eight nine ten years and kind of move away into a more senior position oh such a such a phenomenal question um so first and foremost thank you so much so much for those for those really kind words um i think uh it's a, it's a really interesting so the question of have i seen a a kind of like a, a, a lack of frontline security managers who have been around the block, who understand the game, who can kind of like mentor and manage junior employees, 100%. Like I, I think we, we often talk in security about the, the, the skills gap to use the, the much overused term. Um, and we, we tend to like focus in on entry level positions, as you say, right? They look, well, we, we, we've known to do like L1, L2 soft and so on and so forth. And um, to me, I think that the larger problem is that we're having these people focus on like 
uh, jobs that they probably don't need to do, whether that's like being a ticket jockey or whether that's like working on really kind of repetitive manual tasks. Maybe those people could be focused on other stuff. Um, we definitely see even amongst our customer base and amongst our users and even, you know, my, my network of friends that are working security, there's that constant battle to fill those next level of positions, whether that's like, you know, a senior manager of detection and response or a director of application security or a, um, I don't know, like a, a head of compliance or something like that. So I think there's definitely that missing piece. Um, I also think in security that like we're, we're we also we often have um, a, a bit of a main character syndrome situation where we don't think that other people who don't didn't move through the ranks in security are capable of doing those jobs, right? So we don't think that hey, this person who worked in who was a, a great leader in DevOps, they shouldn't be like a senior manager in SecOps or security or something. And we almost exclude them as a result of that. And I think that's wrong. I think that we should be open to people who don't have 100% security tenure being in security leadership positions. We need to be a little bit more creative about the people that we allow into the, into the wall garden. Um, in terms of how we develop and how we keep people working in security, um, I think personally, I'm like a really good example of this. Right, like I was on CISO track. Uh, I worked my way up from being a security analyst to being a security manager, to being a security director, to being a security uh, senior director. And the next position for me that was like fairly, um, fairly obvious would have been to like move into a CISO role in, in, a, in a company. But quite frankly, that position just did not attract me in any way, shape or form. Like I had no desire to be a CISO. And to the CISOs who are in the room and on the call, you have my absolute admiration. I think it's an incredibly challenging job and I have nothing but respect for anybody do, who does it, but it just wasn't for me. Like I just couldn't see myself being in that position. Um, and so I think if like what, from a personal perspective, what could the industry have done for me to make me stay in security and want to be a CISO? I think one of the th obvious things is just like make that job less stressful. And I know like there's a there's a fairly um, there, there's a there's a there's a base level of stress that comes with being a C-suite executive, no matter what. But the CISO position to me just feels like an extraordinarily unnecessarily stressful position. Uh, and I think doing things like empowering CISOs to actually own outcomes uh, start to finish is a really important way to do that. And so from my experience, like a lot of times CISOs are accountable and responsible for stuff that they have very limited control over, whether that's like the number of endpoints that have um, endpoint protection installed, right? Like a CISO at a board is being grilled about, hey, how come we haven't deployed all these endpoint protection or our asset tracker isn't up to date? And a lot of the time the CISO is kind of like, well, yeah, like I, I, I'm responsible for that but like it's not my i can't be accountable because i have no control over endpoints and it's actually it or somebody else who's ultimately responsible for that so i think changing the expectations of the CISO right throughout the entire company is really really important everything from like hey what the security analyst expects the CISO to be to the chairman the chairperson of the board what they expect the CISO to be 
and I think I would have probably stuck around in industry and been a practitioner a little bit longer if I had felt that, hey, I have complete control over my success in this position, um, regardless of what else happens within the organization. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we're gonna be able to turn that tide. I don't know what you. <laughs> like I, I, I think, I, I, I think we will, but it's gonna take a while, right? Like you know, it's we, we have to, and you guys mostly have to give yourselves credit as like senior leaders and executives in security. Like you've changed the tide quite a bit, even from a decade ago. Like a decade ago, it was unheard of that the CISO didn't report to the CIO, right? Like that was just the way it worked. And now it's not only a case that like more often than not, the CISO is a peer to the CIO, but even more uh, commonly, I'm actually seeing the CIO report to the CISO, right? In, in a lot of kind of like progressive companies. Uh, and so IT rolls up to the CISO now. And so I do think that the tide is turning um, and it's, it, there's definitely a, a, a shift towards the CISO being more empowered to do the things they need to do to keep the organization secure within their function. But you're right, it is going to take some time. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to take, uh, take that time. And then also, you know, I, I do see more accountability from the CISO role as well um, to the board. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, we have to figure out, and I think the, really what it is, is we'll have to figure out a way how we actually work together and partner within our own organizations. And, and so just that influence um, of bringing things together. And like people like you, that's actually solving solving problems for the entire industry and looking at our mental health. So I appreciate that as well. Tomas, I'm gonna turn it back over to you. Sounds good. That's a great conversation. Great, great conversation so far. Look, it is, uh, it's, I'm going to do a quick room reset if you just joined us. Uh, you missed some really great conversation, but this is being recorded so you can listen to the playback shortly after this is done. Um, that said, Owen, you know, just thinking about, thinking about, um, I'm thinking about, what am I thinking about? Oh man, so many things to think of. So many things to you're talk about, about there. You're thinking about running that six or eight miles per day is what you're thinking about. <laughs> oh, I, six or eight miles? What? I ran 10 today. What are you talking about? Six or eight miles? Did you, did you have your cane <laughs> when you were running? Oh, my cane. Oh man. I remember when we couldn't hear Octavia very well. It was actually not a bad thing. My <laughs> cane. Man. No, um, yeah, if you see me running, call the cops. Somebody's chasing me, please. I, 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 I don't do running. Um, I enjoyed it when I was younger, but uh, yeah, I, have, I don't really do it much more now. Um, no, I wanted to. I wanted to. Uh, what I was thinking about was. Eh, I don't want to talk about that. I was. I was thinking about the whole sort of CISO and 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 what you where you were going with that. But I'll I'll leave that one alone. I I appreciate the. Uh, the fact that you you can you completely are and were self aware uh, as to what you wanted to do and what you didn't want to do, uh, which which is great. Uh, and you found a problem and you and you decided to solve it and not only solve it but also think about it from a commercial standpoint for other people to 
sort of sovereign and, and that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, man, I lost what I wanted to ask you. It was a, it was a fascinating question. It, <laughs> yo, Octavia, Octavia, let me mute her. Where's the mute option? She's a she's in rare form this evening. Even even though you could we could barely Octavia, when you listen to the playback, you know what we're, what we're saying. We could barely hear you, but man, I could. It sounds so loud when she talks in my ear. I can hear her cracking <laughs> jokes on me. Um, Katie. The, I'll pass it over to you. I, I'm, I'm, I lost my question. It's not coming back right now. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. No. Listen. Wednesdays are are tricky. Uh, I, you know, my brain is always a little tired as well at this time of day. Um, and I again, thank you again, uh, Owen, for uh, being up so late your time. Um, you know, it was. It's, I don't know what I was. Why this has been in my head the entire time. Um, but when you were talking about early on. Um, you were doing a bake-off and then couldn't figure out um that it just didn't it didn't work for you it made me think i just for whatever reason pictured you as like a seven-year-old kid trying to find like the exact bicycle that you wanted and then figuring out that you know what i actually want a bicycle with a motor and i don't know why i was just like huh i wonder if he's a tinkerer i wonder if you've always been somebody who um, builds things or or does things like that. And I just, I'm always curious if somebody, if you have just kind of some fun stories, we had somebody who said that, oh yeah, actually I used to, you know, do have a, have a chemistry set and used to do that all the time and it drove my mom crazy or whatever. So yeah, just kind of curious what your childhood looked like. Is there something we should be looking for in our children that someday they can also be a founder of a company and, and help foster that in them? Oh yeah, that, that's a great question. Yeah. I definitely grew up in a house that valued like doing things with our hands uh, and so whether that was like repairing hinges and doors or um uh you know uh, making cabinets and so on and so forth so like I, I was definitely like quite comfortable around like hand tools and and power tools and so on growing up and it, it it's a a hobby that i've maintained over the years and so i still like to do much to my wife's absolute annoyance i still like to try and fix things before myself before we like uh we'll, we'll call in a, a handyman uh, and so to, to to give you an example just this last weekend um and this is why i should never do diy um just this last weekend my wife brought home like this kind of like antique um lampshade right so something that we would hang out of the ceiling uh, and it was like an absolute gorgeous uh, a piece of piece of piece of work it was like solid brass with a whole load of glass and the thing must have weighed like like 15 kilos, so like a stone, um, which is like, what, 16 pounds or something? So it was like heavy. And she was like, uh, hey, can you just like hang this up in the front room? And I was like, yeah, absolutely, I can do that. Uh, and so I went into the front room and I was like, okay, how am, I gonna, how am I gonna hang this up? And we have one of those like plaster ceiling roses that's um, quite a kind of or, ornate ceiling work in our front room. And, um, I was like, well, crap, like that's never going to be strong enough to hold this like 16 pound uh, light shade. So I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? So uh, I, the, the room that I was trying to hang it up in is like directly below my uh, five-year-old kid's bedroom. And I'm like, oh man, like to, to make this work, I'm going to have to move my kid's bed, lift up the carpet, unscrew the floorboards, put like a, a supporting piece of wood 
inside the ceiling and then screw the lampshade into that supporting piece of wood. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to have to do this for, for this to work. And so I set about it, like I pushed the bed out of the way, I pulled up the carpet, I lit, ripped up the underlay, I unscrewed the floorboards, I did all the wiring, I put in the new piece of wood uh, and then screwed the lampshade into the ceiling. And it worked perfectly. Like it was a really successful outcome. It was super secure, super solid. And this thing was not going to fall down ever. Uh, and so I'm, I'm exhausted at this stage, right? This is like a ton of work. It was like a Saturday morning, a job that was supposed to take, you know, 15 minutes ended up taking like three hours. Uh, and so I put the floorboards back down. I put the carpet back down. I pulled the bed back into place and I'm, a, I'm wrecked. I'm so tired. I'm like sweating bullets. And, um, I, my wife was like super happy. The light looks absolutely great. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'll go and take like my kids for a walk to the shop and come back. And I'm like, oh man, what did I, what did I do with my phone? Uh, and it turns out I had been using my phone, like the torch on my phone to help while I was like doing the wiring and doing the screwing. And I had left my phone in the ceiling underneath the floorboards. And I was like, oh no, like, what am I going to do? And so I asked my wife, hey, will you just ring my phone to be sure? And so she ran my phone and sure enough, like this sound was like coming from like between the ceiling and the floorboards. And I was like, so tired. I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, just like get a new phone. I might actually leave my phone in the floor because it's just going to be so much work to get it back. But I was like, oh no, I'm just going to have to man up. So like pushed the bed back out of the way, lifted up all the carpet, unscrewed the floorboards, took my phone out. Uh, put the carpet back down, screwed back the floorboards, pulled back the bed and was absolutely exhausted by the end of it. Uh, so I, 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 although I have, I've, I've always loved like doing stuff with my hands and like doing like home repair and like being a tinkerer for sure. I'm not sure I'm cut out for it given like the absolute disaster I had over the weekend. Oh man, we we are cracking up, uh, laughing out loud, literally. Um, that that's that's so funny. That's... <laughs> it was so so embarrassing because like I was I was really proud of myself. I was like, man, like I like that was a really complicated job I just did, and I'm like super happy. And I was like bragging about it to my wife, and I was like, look at that, isn't that amazing? And then she rings my phone, and it's like clearly stuck in the ceiling. Yeah. Not, 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 not what I would recommend. That's so funny. And, and, and Owen, just so you know, when we, when we flash our mics, when you see the mic sort of blinking, that's us sort of applauding or laughing, if you will. Oh, cool. That's, that's a little clubhouse etiquette there. Um, look, it, it is, uh, it is getting close to, uh, to, to closing time. I, I do want to be respectful of your time and everybody else's time. Uh, before I ask you sort of that, that last, question and that reflection question i just i just want to make a very very quick announcement um for those uh for those in the room uh so next week uh if you come back next week wednesday october 26th we will be joined by keenan skelly uh, most of you probably know keenan uh so join us back next week that should be a very interesting conversation uh learning about keenan and her origin story um so that being said uh that being said, Owen, I do want to ask you this question. It's, it's one of the questions that I ask just about every every one of our guests, and it's a, it's a reflection question. And and that 
the the question really focuses on actually you know i'll just ask you the question if you have one piece of advice for the younger owen what would it be and why hmm. um you know it, it's funny this is a this is a, a question that i should really have have, have a, a pre-canned answer for but but i genuinely don't um i i think like being 100% intellectually honest, I think I would say it's okay to be yourself. Like, I, I think, and, and it seems really obvious, and we tell our kids, hey, be yourself. But I think looking back at like the mistakes that I made or the regrets that I have, the reason, the, the, the like most simple reason for why they happened or why I did something that I'm like, um, that I regret or that I'm ashamed of or whatever, it was because I wasn't being true to myself or I was trying to impress somebody or I was trying to do something that I thought society wanted me to do or like would make my parents proud or whatever. So I think just being very, very true to yourself and being mindful of who you are as a person um, and hopefully it's the right thing. I think that's the advice that I would give. Uh, and there's there's loads of things that you could say that are simpler um, or that are that are like equally as important. But to me, I think, you know, the the world is a is a is a tough place, right? There's there's a lot of challenges that you're gonna face. But if if you look back and you say to yourself, look, I did what I thought was right at the time for me, uh, and I I think then you can be satisfied about like no matter what happened, like even if it was a mistake, even if something went wrong, if you're true to your instincts and true to you who you are, I think you will live a happier more fulfilled life so i think that's what i would tell him that's awesome no that's 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 great um that's uh, that's great sorry i was just i was just quickly reading the chat i did get a question on 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 a on a back channel um directly to me so i i, I will i will ask you this question i know it's gonna probably put bump us over but Inquiring minds want to know. So, uh, hmm. how do you? So the question is: the question is from a, the, I'll call it from a sales standpoint. So, how do you, as a former practitioner, guide your salespeople to reach out to current practitioners? Oh wow, that's 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 such a great question, and this is something we think about in times every single day, right? I I have been on the end of those like cold emails that say hi first name right like i i've lived that life um i the way we tell our secure or the way we tell our sales team to like reach out and we do right we do send outbound messages but we only send outbound messages to people that we genuinely believe we can help or that we can add value to and we do it in a very thoughtful well-researched um unobtrusive way and we give people like all the opportunities to opt out so we don't send like mass spam emails we don't like have our product behind paywalls so essentially when we're reaching out to a a, a prospect or a practitioner we're saying like look here's the reason we're reaching out here's the value that we think we can add to your organization here's why we think that we can add that value to your organization because we um, have read about these challenges or we know person XYZ in your company 
or we were introduced in some way, shape or form. So we're only reaching out to someone where we have high confidence that we can actually add value. Um, and that that is what you want as a security practitioner, right? Like as a security practitioner, you're not opposed to speaking to vendors. You're not opposed to receiving emails. What you are opposed to is receiving these emails that are like unthoughtful, intrusive, have no understanding of you as a practitioner, have no understanding of your business, have no understanding of your security program, have no understanding of your priorities. And so what we do is we invest a lot of time and energy and money, frankly, into understanding a company, understanding their business, understanding their security program, understanding their priorities, so that when we're reaching out, A, like I said, we're confident that this is somebody that we can help, and B, we believe that um, if this person were to use our product or wanted to get on a demo, that it would be a high quality interaction that would be valuable to them and us. Awesome. Awesome. Good job. Good job teaching your, your sales guys uh, and, good, and good approach. Look, I, 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 um, I do want to thank you for Owen for, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Uh, moderators, any final thoughts uh, before we kind of wrap up? I just want to say thank you again. I really enjoyed this conversation, really enjoyed getting to know you. And, um, and you know, even the way you answered that final question, um, I definitely hope people are listening because for us to be able to collaborate, we need to be able to communicate effectively. And so that I like that you're being so um, deliberate with that. So, but thank you again. Uh, honestly, uh, pleasure this evening. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. It's been amazing. And I apologize for my audio issues, but at least you were able to translate. So thank you for sharing today. And also thank you just for being mindful and helping the community as well. My pleasure. I was going to say, Octavia, that's what happens when you leave the country, but we do have Owen who's in Dublin. So his mic works. I guess it's just a Canadian thing. You guys are trying to like say something like you don't like Canadian or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's not that at all, Octavia. So... Oh, and again, you know, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend that with us this evening, sharing your story, uh, sharing a lot of great insight and, and great tips uh, and, and your journey uh, from practitioner to, uh, to CEO and entrepreneur. So I'll leave you with the final words to take us home. I just want to say thank you guys so, so much. I can't believe we've been speaking for 90 minutes. This absolutely flew. Uh, if you had told me I would enjoy doing a podcast for 90 minutes and finishing up at 2 30 in the morning i would not believe you but i think it's a it's a measure to the quality of the questions that you asked it's a testament to the engagement uh, and the comfortableness uh, in the environment that you created and i'm just truly truly grateful for you guys giving me the opportunity to chat and thank you so much no uh, thank you and thank you everybody we'll see you all uh, next week have a good rest of your week cheers bye now